everyone, Matt here and welcome to Looking Back at Lost, where each week I look at another episode of ABC's Lost to see how that episode fits into the series as a whole. Today I'll be covering episode 114, entitled Special. First, I'd like to share with everyone uh, an email that Barry sent me. Barry said, uh, I've, uh, I've been enjoying your podcasts, perfect length, great format, summary, then discussion. And then Barry goes on to say, I have a theory that I've not seen written elsewhere. It pertains to episode 411, Cabin Fever, but has large implications for the entire show. In 411, uh, Alpert visits young Locke and shows him several items. He asks which he had before. Locke initially looks at uh, sand from the island and the old compass, but chooses a knife. Barry goes on to say, I think what is happening is that he is known to be a candidate by Jacob. Jacob sends Alpert to meet all the candidates. Only Jacob knows the the man in black used the knife to kill their mother. He always includes the knife in searching for the reincarnated man in black. No one ever picks the knife. Jacob tells Albert some story about why picking the knife is bad, but really this just tells Jacob that the man in black has come to kill him in the form of Locke. This then sets in motion the urgency on Jacob's part to find a successor as he knows his time has come. Barry, that certainly is an interesting theory, and I agree I haven't heard it elsewhere. Uh, I suppose my initial reaction is I'm of the uh, I'm of the opinion that um, the man in black uh, never required reincarnation. I know that this is a theory that uh, a couple other people have had that the, the man in black was somehow reincarnated. To my mind, the uh, the soul or the spirit of the or the consciousness of the man in black was uh, born on the island, as we saw in Across the Sea. Uh, and then while his body died um, uh, in that episode, um, when he comes out of the source uh, as Smokey, that that is still the same, uh, the same man, the same consciousness. And that, uh, you know, to our knowledge, that consciousness then carries on in the smoke form uh, for the next 2,000 years. Now, you might say, well, what do you mean the smoke form? He, he, he appears as different, uh, different people. To my mind, the smoke takes the form of people, uh, but that it still is the, you know, smoky or whatever deep down. It's not that he's, in my view and in my recollection, it's not that he's um, taking over people's bodies. In fact, as you might recall, we, of course, see Locke's dead body, um, at some point, I want to say season five, um, uh, we see Locke's dead body, uh, and that's the big moment we, when you, we realize that, uh, or you at least start to realize that Locke indeed did die back in Los Angeles uh, at the hands of Ben, and that um, the Locke that we've seen since then has been some sort of imposter. So, um, it, what's interesting though about Barry's email is it's it's. Um, 
like the second time this week that somebody has suggested that there's a, a reincarnation angle as opposed to, uh, or you know, the Man in Black specifically being uh, reincarnated as opposed to um, continuing in in uh, in a continuous. Uh, or how should I put this? That his his spirit or his soul or whatever continues from his body to his smoke form to uh, the form of himself uh, as he looked when he was alive to the form he takes as, uh, oh goodness, as um, Christian Shepherd, as Locke, um, as Kate's horse, as I recall. So um, anyhow, thank you again, Barry, for your email. Certainly, uh, I welcome further fan feedback from uh, from you, Barry, as well as uh, other listeners. I know it was uh, it was uh, a bit off topic talking about episode four eleven, but I thought Barry's question was a good one, and as he says, it kind of uh, applies to the mythology as a whole. So, with that, let's now move on to the Wikipedia summary of the uh, episode. By the way, I'll just quickly mention, uh, I have put the call out for anybody who's interested. Uh, I'm not, for whatever reason, I don't particularly enjoy reading the episode summaries. So if you would like to read the episode summary, you could uh, send me an email at lookingbackatlost at gmail.com. And um, I'll tell you what episode I'm working on because I usually record a couple weeks ahead of when I'm releasing. And uh, I'll, I'll give you the episode summary and you could read it, record it, send it back and uh, be properly credited as such. But anyhow... Here we are five and a half minutes into the podcast. We have yet to get to today's episode 114 special, so here we go. In flashbacks, Michael and his partner, lawyer Susan Lloyd, have a son, Walt. Susan accepted a job in Amsterdam and took her child with her. Months later, Michael calls Susan, and she reveals to have started a relationship with her former boss, Brian Porter. Michael says he is coming to Amsterdam, not for Susan, but to take his son back. Hanging up? Michael storms away, but, forgetting to look, walks out in the middle of the road and is hit by an oncoming vehicle. While Michael is in the hospital recovering, Susan appears and says she will be marrying Brian and wants to adopt Walt as his legal son. Eight years later, still in the flashbacks, Brian, Susan, and Walt live in Sydney, Australia. Walt is hinted to have some sort of supernatural power over his surroundings when he opens up one of his books to a picture of a native bird. And shortly afterward, an identical real-life bird fatally slams into a nearby window. Shortly later, Susan dies from an unspecified form of blood disorder. Brian comes to New York to tell this to Michael and says it was Susan's wish that Michael uh, be given custody. Michael soon sees past this and realizes Brian does not care for Walt. Brian offers Michael plane tickets to and from Sydney, inviting him to come and take Walt. Michael is livid that Brian would willingly abandon Walt, but is confused when Brian says the boy is different and things happen when he's not around. Michael then goes to Brian's house in Sydney, where he picks up Walt and his dog, Vincent. On the island, an annoyed Michael confronts Walt, whom John Locke has been teaching how to throw a knife. Michael enlists Walt's help in scavenging parts from the wreck to build a raft. Eventually, Walt tells his dad he's going to get some water and runs off with his dog. Locke and Michael track... Uh, Walt into the jungle. Michael risks his own life to save Walt from one of the island's unlikely predators, a polar bear, thus aiding in the reconciliation between the two. Michael then gives Walt a wooden box that holds all the letters he wrote to Walt, but his mother never delivered. Meanwhile, Charlie recovers Claire's diary from Sawyer. As he skims through it, hoping to find some mention of her musings, 
Uh, some mention of him and her musings. He reads her description of a dream about a black rock, which corresponds to a location on the map that Saeed stole from Danielle Rousseau. He shows this to others, thinking it might be a clue to her whereabouts. However, while looking for Vincent, who disappeared shortly after Walt was attacked by the bear, Locke and Boone are shocked by the sudden appearance of Claire stumbling out of the jungle. So with that, at a bit of a delay here, finally, let's get to my thoughts about the episode. Uh, Not only does this episode start with the iconic eye shot, of course, but we got Michael screaming, Walt. Uh, Such memories. Uh, In fact, you can... uh, keep an, uh, an ear out at the very end of the podcast there's a little compilation of michael yelling walt from this episode um anyhow as the flashbacks start it's another great use of shocking flashback starts with men who have shaved their beards it's it's easy and it works this is to say you'll uh, they'll go to a flashback and all of a sudden uh, to to suddenly transport you back in time all they do is you know shave the guy's beard and uh, in this case, they <laughs> they tuck Michael's somewhat longer hair. You know, it's longer because it's on the island; doesn't have a haircut. Um, they shock his, they uh, stuff his uh, uh, longer hair underneath the hat, and then you say, "Oh, wow, my goodness! Look how he looks clean shaven." Um, you know, it's just a, a simple trick that the show uh, goes back to time and time because, as I say, there it's easy and it works. Um, it's a tidy flashback start as well. They don't have, you know, they very quickly present in that first scene, which is uh, crib shopping for the yet unborn Walt. They, it, it's tidy. They tell you that the couple, uh, Susan and uh, Michael, they don't have tons of money. They aren't married. Michael's an artist who works construction. Um, it's just, it's, uh, it's, um, as I say, it's just a, a tidy bit of uh, uh, of a flashback. It gets a ton of information presented in a uh, in an unobtrusive way. Um, also, overall, I found that Michael is extremely irritating in this episode, especially since first-time viewers are supposed to love Locke, who's the, the wise elder, and uh, that's evidenced in this first clip here. You gave my boy a knife. You should have seen what... Hey, don't tell me what I should have seen, man. We're back home, I called the police on your ass. Encouraging a kid to sneak away from his parents, giving him a knife like this? Walt knows his own mind. Hey, don't talk to me about my son like you know him. You really need to calm down. You keep playing my son against me. And I'm gonna have a... The man said calm down. What are you, his platform? Easy, easy, easy. You're the one that was waving the knife around. He was just trying to make sure you didn't hurt someone. Michael, I know it's been difficult to bond with your son. You know why he's formed an attachment to me? Because I treat him like an adult. You still treat him like a boy. He's 10 years old. He's been through more than most people in their entire lifetimes. You haven't spent enough time with him to see it, but he's different. What did you say? And we're not back home, Michael. As long as we're here, I think Walt should be allowed to realize his potential. It's so satisfying when Boone tackles Michael, isn't it? Um, But... It's also somewhat shocking to see that Michael in no way realizes that Walt might need, need knife skills on the island. I mean, here they are. There's, there's no, uh, no hope of immediate rescue. Meat must be caught off the hoof. And one of the survivors has been abducted. Is knowing how to handle a knife such a bad thing? Now, granted, there's obviously the, the, the various uh, psychological layers at play here for, for Michael. Uh, he probably, to a certain degree, sees um, 
sees Locke as the next Brian, the next man who's going to take his son away from him, maybe not directly, but just somebody to to steal his son's adoration from him. Of course, adoration in quotes since Walt and Michael get along so poorly in this episode. But, um, I mean, it's, it, it's an interesting episode because um, Michael goes from being so irritating so often in it, and then... You feel sympathetic for him in the flashbacks, and then he's irritating on the island. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of it, I mean, a lot of it is intentional. I think at the end of the day, it's well done. Even though you're sitting here going, Michael, geez, you know, you're, you're, you're overdoing it. It's not unrealistically overdone. It is somebody who's lost his son uh, once already, somebody who only recently let's say, I think it's about day 22 or 25, but certainly shortly before the plane crash, which is to say the same day that he picked up Walt is when the, uh, is when the nanny in a, in a later flashback, uh, later in this episode anyway, um, gives Michael the little wooden box containing uh, the letters that Michael had written to Walt for eight or nine or ten years. And, uh, you know, so, I mean, M- Michael's also had his son taken away to that degree in that, even the, the his attempts at communication and drawing these little cards and whatnot, that that hasn't even uh, he, he doesn't even have the benefit of that connection. So, what's nice about this is you can really see where Michael is coming from. I know that it was a very well reviewed episode in terms of the critics, and uh, I, I can see why. Even though maybe I don't know, maybe I won't be reflecting that fully just because I, as I was taking my notes, I wasn't loving the episode. But it is it is nicely. Um, it is a nicely crafted episode. Um, indeed, I'm just going to, to get back on track here. Um, as the flashbacks proceed, Michael continues to uh, to be not only irritating but self-centered in the flashbacks. Um, he's whiny and moany when it comes to Walt's mother wanting to take, uh, to take her good job in Amsterdam. And meanwhile, uh, at that same time, he's, he's an unemployed, unmarried dad who isn't equally providing for his son. Again, there's there's this counterplay, I and mean, that's I 100% stand by uh, that that statement. You know, all that I just said, I stand by that for that scene. But then you feel sympathetic for him in the in following scenes, which is uh, to the credit of the show. Um, and and it does, as I said, it does explain the rabid way that he wants to hold on to Walt. Um, and you know, it's it's uh, it's flashbacks working for the good of the show, and. Um, Anyhow, here's uh, another clip that uh, isn't from a flashback, but rather it uh, starts to look ahead to future episodes. Just can't happen. What? Can't grow up here. Can't grow up in this place. Building water filtration systems, playing golf making a sweet little home here. We need to get off this island. You think any of us want to be here? No, but I don't think anyone wants to get off as much as I do right now. So are you suggesting something? Yeah. We build a raft. A raft. Look, don't say it like that, man. We, we, we need a little optimism here, okay? And, and we got to do something because, let's be honest, no one's coming. Obviously, you see the seeds uh, being planted there for not only the season one finale and the raft and those wonderful... Uh, those wonderful scenes of the raft launching uh, and, and then giving the wonderful opportunity for uh, the others to come and take Walt and have Michael yelling Walt a lot more. But 
longer term too. I mean, it's planting the seeds for Michael's exit at the end of season two. It's he wants to get him and his son off of the island, and for as much a, a, as a villain as he may or may not uh, turn out to be in that process, and I think that certainly from the point of view that we are expected to have in the show, uh, him shooting Anna Lucia and Libby, um, despite whatever the actresses. Uh, crimes uh, in real life in hawaii and their dui problems and how it appears that the drunks get written off the show but despite all that within the context of the show it's so reprehensible that he shoots them but we see this drive in him from his first you know the first michael centric episode this drive in him to get him and his son off the island so they can be safe together um i mean that you know it's like ultimately michael is a broken character and I don't mean that he's not an effective creation of the writers, just that he is, as a person, elementally flawed. For all that uh, the actor Harold Perrineau complained about how the character was treated, in terms of misuse, and then when he was brought back in uh, in uh, season uh, season four, etc., uh, etc., et to me the character is pretty consistent. Seasons one, two, and four, uh, and even... The, uh, the 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 ghostly Michael paying for his crimes at the end of season six. The whole time, Michael's marginally unstable, absolutely self-centered. You know, no wonder he trades death and lives in order to leave the island, and no wonder he ends up trapped in the island as a ghost. Uh, to me, it's all. I can see that in the character now. I can see that in this episode, somebody who's so so self-centered and so focused that. Uh, rational concerns or concerns of the group or this sort of thing simply aren't fairly addressed. Anyhow, moving on. Um, it was uh, it was fun in this episode seeing Walt's comic book. That was another one of these things that back in the day, many people made many, many connections to. There was the thought that this comic book was some great touchstone that we can all hitch our wagons to and really start to understand some of the complexity of the show. Uh, make connections to the glass city that that's shown in the comic book, the polar bear, the alien, the alien with the big pulsing brain. Uh, I know that there was much analysis done. People tracked down the comic book. People tracked down the English language version of the comic book, picked it apart bit by bit. I think that it was, well, and I mean, not just I think. I mean, clearly there was no, no great answers from the comic book. Uh, in my opinion, it was just that the writers were having a bit of fun with us, just as uh, books would be shown all too briefly in the future, you know, the spine of um, uh, the occurrence of Owl Bridge and the Hatch and, and this sort of thing. Um, you know, I mean, I wonder how much, too, uh, as the writers are figuring out that, there's, that there was a rabid uh, audience out there, you know, how much that they're saying, well, let, let's, let's give them something to get to get interested in. Let's give them something to chase each week, something to discuss on these newly emerging websites and podcasts and forums and this sort of thing. So uh, a fun a fun little tidbit to see that comic book return, but ultimately it, uh, it doesn't take us too far. By the way, as a quick side note, this episode, I think very rightfully, they stop the credits at certain scenes to let the scenes play as a whole. And uh, it took 13 minutes and 8 seconds for the credits to actually be complete, uh, which is basically a third, a third of the show was, was them doing the credits. So, uh, I mean, again, it certainly is not a complaint. They were just taking their time to say, you know what, we're not going to do credits in this scene or in this portion of a scene because it's an emotional moment. It's not, um, 
you know, something for credits to go over. It's not people pulling bags out of the ocean as the music plays. It's not uh, people starting fire. It's actual important dialogue. So um, moving on, not every episode can feature our favorite characters all the time, obviously. Um, and that's just part of the longevity of the show. And, and it gives the opportunity for all the characters to grow. And just uh, to pause for a moment to think ahead, I'm thinking of all those frustrating times where it was like, I don't care about these freighter people. I don't care about this blonde woman, Juliet. I don't care about these people. Let's get to the characters I care about. And then ultimately, of course, we would, uh, we would care for them too because the show is dedicated to, to spreading around the, the love or the screen time or whatever qualifier you, uh, you want to put on it. But anyhow, the show does know when to return to the well. And they do with Kate and Charlie and Sawyer with this clip. So take a listen. Where's Claire's diary? Someone took it from her bag. Oh, I get it. Something goes missing, and right away you figure it's got to be me that took it. Do you have the diary or not? You mean this one? Give it to me. No, I'm not sure that's the best idea. Maybe Missy Claire. I don't want you reading it. I wasn't going to read it. You're not curious what she wrote about you? You bastard. Did you read it? Good literature is kind of scarce around here. Who read it? Just give it to us. Dear diary, I'm getting really freaked out by that has-been pop star. I think he's stalking me. Sawyer. Diary, the little limey runt just won't let up. Ow! You hit like a pumps. Oh, yeah? All right, enough. What that clip didn't quite convey was that Charlie hits Sawyer and Sawyer's knife wound, and of course Sawyer hits Charlie square in the jaw. Um, but I mean, in addition to it being just uh, a good example of quickly returning to some of your more favorite characters, uh, at least some of my more favorite characters anyway, um, it's just, it's great to see them interacting, it's a great little bit of humor. Actually, while the clip was playing, I said, what exactly is a ponce? Because Charlie says you hit like a ponce. And I see here that, uh, at least according to dictionary.com, is British slang for a campily effeminate male. So uh, I, I think that the American word for that probably would be a bit more controversial and uh, not one that will be repeated on this podcast. But uh, I don't know. I guess I guess it's an example of... Uh, I, don't, I don't know um, if Ponce has the same, uh, the same uh, weight... Um, uh, as a uh, as a homosexual slur, that uh, a similar word in this in, in this country, this country being the United States, uh, might have. But uh, I don't. Know, certainly, it it played well. I don't know if it's uh, entirely appropriate to be laughing at it, but it, but certainly played well. Anyhow, with that, let's uh, move on to uh, another clip. This one with Boone and Shannon. What's going on with you, Boone? Could you be acting any weirder, Shannon? I've been a functioning bulimic since junior high. Thought you'd be excited about dropping a size or two. Well, since you're not having any luck with the honey, maybe you should help Michael. He's building a raft. I was thinking I would help him out. Maybe finally get the hell out of here. Why don't you help me? No, thanks. I feel like that clip is a little bit of a callback and an effective callback to last week's episode. And if you if you watch the uh, the video of it, Boone won't look her in the eye, 
and I personally take that as uh, so he's trying to. It's his attempt to uh, maintain a kind of his new chaste monastic role as uh, as Locke's uh, sidekick or acolyte, as he's been described. Um, and he also too uh, is deciding that he won't help Shannon if she wants to do something. She's going to have to help herself to it. Um, also, I mean, his little uh, his little quip there about uh, her supposedly jumping on the opportunity of not being able to eat uh, again. Perhaps it's not the most appropriate thing to be joking about, but certainly it shows their um, close relationship as people who've lived under the same roof. Uh, and have a certain familiarity with their insults to each other. Um, and moving on, speaking of insults, we have um, perhaps the most visceral scene of uh, Michael really lipping, ripping into a, to a Locke. So take a listen. I'm serious, Walt. You're not to come to me anymore. Damn it! What is wrong with you? I was just coming to I see I told you to stay away from my son. He didn't. I would just well, give I don't some... want to hear from you. I was just giving him this pencil to give to you. I thought you could use it. Consider it a, a peace offering. i catch you with my son again. I'll kill you. It's an uncomfortable scene to watch. Uh... Certainly, I mean, as I said before, since we're we as the 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 audience were supposed to be siding with Locke in most things, he's the the wise one. But it's an interesting choice, whether it's an acting choice, a writing choice, whatever it might be, like a, a combination of the two. It's interesting that Locke acts subservient to Michael in this uh, scene. Perhaps it's because of Locke's own daddy issues. That's the only conclusion I can reach. Certainly. Um, Locke is never really off the handle. He's certainly around people. I know he has a bit of a breakdown when he's pounding on the hatch um, in the in the episodes to come. Uh, but he's just, I mean, he, he's, he's, uh, he, he, he'll lower his voice to Michael. He'll, uh, he's no, so non-confrontational. Again, as I say, I just chalk it up to Locke's uh, own daddy issues, which I don't know how set they were at this point in the show. But, Again, as I say every week, the the notion of this podcast, looking back with all that we know now to see where you know where it works and where it doesn't, this really works. He he's telling Walt to trust his father, but here Locke was scanned and paralyzed by his own father. But Locke apparently just still has this uh, this faith in the institution of fatherhood that he he for all the negative things that he sees out of his own father, he wants to give Michael the opportunity to be a good father to Walt. He sees that Michael cares. He sees that Michael is trying. He sees that Michael is is um, putting himself out there. And these are all things that, uh, that Locke's own father did not do. So it's just interesting that Locke is so very, very measured. I mean, here Michael is in his face. And there, there, there's, uh, I mean, <laughs> to see some Locke-Michael showdown in this episode would have been, uh, I think, enjoyable to many. Uh, but no, there's Locke. Whether the actor knows of Locke's own uh, fatherly background or the, or the background of Locke's own with own uh, Locke's own father, it's just it it just plays so wonderfully. It really, really does. It's out of character for Locke, the Locke that we know thus far, but so in character for the Locke that we would come to know. Um, and moving on, kind of taking a taking a larger look at this episode, the craft in this episode is that the flashbacks continue to truly inform us 
as to why Michael is the way he is. He's It's big jerk Michael on island, and then we see him battered and bruised and deflated. In flashback, when Susan tells him that she's paying his bills, she's marrying her boyfriend, she's moving farther away, she's taking their son with him. And you just, you need to feel sympathy for him as you watch this. You really do. At least flashback Michael. And I guess even on Island Michael, because you know why he's being motivated to be such an awful person. Um, moving on, there's a, there's a great little bit of comedy when Charlie is tempted to read Claire's diary. It wouldn't have made a good clip because there's no dialogue to it, but it's just Dominic Monaghan spending 20, 30, 40 seconds doing different variations, acting variations of, I want to read the diary, but I really shouldn't interrupt her privacy. He peeks at it. He puts it down. He bites it to keep it shut. It's just, you feel like they just said, all right, do some different things. And he went on for 60 seconds and they said, wow, this is so good. We need to use 30 or 40 seconds of it as opposed to one peak or two peaks or this sort of thing. Um, moving on, once again, I really, really, really dislike how the show absolutely infers that Walt in Australia uh, has this special power. Um, and specifically the special power being, you know, when he's angry, it somehow attracts or kills the bird. People aren't paying attention to him. Susan and, uh, and Brian aren't paying attention to him. And the bird Walt is looking at then hits the, the wall and is killed, and that stops any further discussion. The show does nothing with this. In this episode, in future episodes, uh, aside from the vagaries of him being labeled as special and then ultimately ultimately being brought back to the island in, in The New Man in Charge, which is the, the rather uh, disappointing epilogue that's on the season six DVD, aside from all that, it's just he's just kind of labeled as special. There's no, I mean, I think that we really expected, you know, telekinetic Walt. Walt's going to, you know, or, you know, Walt's going to battle the uh, battle the smoke monster at some point, or, you know, this sort of thing, and just nothing happens to it. Perhaps some of that is, and I think I've mentioned this in previous podcasts, I mean, obviously they know with the actor, the clock is ticking. They're spending uh, 20, uh, pardon me, they're spending 40, 50 days a season on the island, you know, which is to say, in the course of the first season, it takes 44 days for the, for the, it's 44 days after the crash. Well, obviously, this kid has grown up uh, over a year in that time because they shot the pilot, I think, in uh, uh, in uh, April, and then um, you know started shooting the show probably in that summer. So by the time you're getting to when season one wraps shooting, probably in uh, you know in, in April or May of the following year, April or May 2005. This kid's been working on the show for a year. 44 show days have, have gone by. 44 fictional days have gone by. Meanwhile, the child has aged one year. And P.S., he's 9 or 10, so he's aged, you know, he, he's moved forward a 10th or an 11th of his entire life. Um, so they must have known that Walt wouldn't be some six-season character. Um, but then, if you know that, don't give him these special... Things. I mean, maybe they're just thinking ahead. Well, we know that there's these others out here. We know that they're going to take him. And that'll be a great kind of cliffhanger. Uh, and we'll just make up the rest as, as it goes along. I mean, if that's the case, don't set him up as this super powered person. You know, other people are mere mortals. Jack is merely a great surgeon. Uh, Kate is merely a great, uh, uh, 
I don't know what she good at running away. Sawyer is merely a great con man, but you know it seems that Walt, you know, here has lightning bolts ready to come from his fingertips, and he might, you know, fly and leap tall buildings in a single bound and this sort of thing. But they do nothing with that. Anyhow, thus ends my my little rant here. Let's move on um, to another clip. I'll I'll take a deep breath while the clip is uh, playing. So take a listen. Are you the only father he knows? It's more than that. We're gonna watch. There's just there's something about him. <laughs> hell are you talking about man sometimes when he's around things happen he's different somehow you go that's just another example and i'll i'll keep it brief that's just another example there of they're really setting him up what is this different what is this special what is this unique thing to him what are these things what are these things plural i mean the fact that he's looking at a bird and a bird hits the window i mean that's unique enough that's interesting enough i think within the context of a show we're meant to really get some meaning in that but if you if you step back and pretend that it's the real world well you just chalk that up to uh, to a spooky coincidence you know one of these you know he so-and-so missed the plane and then the plane crashed you know these stories that you know you know somebody who knows somebody where something like this has happened but you know i might dislike michael yeah in in certain scenes i might dislike the michael character overall but at least he's a fully fleshed out flawed person you know i feel like michael could step out of the show and be as realized as we see him in the show Walt is just an ineffective character that really doesn't go too far. And I mean, to, and I'm feeling like his stock I- improves having seen him uh, in, in The New Man in Charge, the epilogue bit that's on the DVD. And I mean, that shouldn't be the place that you're getting some sort of Walt closure from. But anyhow, um, as the flashbacks start to wrap up, we see Michael receive a box of, of something. We don't know what's in the box, but... I just think that it's you know it's the show communicating its drama very very well because I really feel like in the first viewing most viewers are just going to somehow know that it's Michael's letters to his son that were unopened for years. Yes, of course that's what we know now looking back that's what it was, but it just you just that's your visceral gut feeling when the nanny says I think I think Walsh should have this, or I think this is your, you know, this sort of thing, like the nanny kind of acting behind the scenes to make, because she, she knows that there's an, an essential uh, rightness that the father should be able to make a birthday card and send it across the world and that the son receive it. Um, by the way, it's, uh, again, kind of still in these final flashbacks, it's a good editing choice that the first meeting of Michael and 10-year-old Walt is uh is intercut with the visceral and energetic polar bear attack um it it it, it kind of breaks up the the emotion of the one for the the uh, physicality of the other and of course there's the obvious counterpoint of they meet and walt saying i'm not going to go with you who are you and then here we are at the polar bear attack and you know walt needs his father he's crying out for his father so it's this kind of quick you know all the business in the middle the uh the plane crash and all this tension it, it kind of is is neatly cut out it's just like who are you cut to dad i need you um and they also do as a side note they also do a good job not letting us see too much of the computer generated polar bear nor do they let us see too much of the guy in the polar bear suit um i think there is one scene though where the polar bear is using his paws to kind of you know claw at uh at walt and it does kind of look like a guy whose hand is just going kind of his hands just kind of bending over like he's almost waving um but 
you know, say la vie. You can't have a real polar bear attacking a, a 10-year-old actor, so you do what you can do. Now, before I play this final clip, I just want to set it up a little bit in that uh, it's a wonderful use of the music. Uh, we have Charlie sitting there reading Claire's diary uh, with a smile on his face, and then something catches his eye. Dreams, Charlie. No, Saeed mentioned the Black Rock before. The French woman said something about her team returning from the Black Rock. The triangle on the map. Maybe it's the triangle on the map. Maybe it's where Claire was taken. Maybe she's there. Maybe. Charlie, we all want to find Claire, but there's no sense going out into the jungle in the middle of the night. This must be the sort of. Uh... Thing, uh, sort of dialogue that when an actor gets it, they go, "Oh boy, this is going to be tough." This because as as easy as it is to watch and as easy as it is to listen to, um, it's a bit forced. It's them saying at the end of the episode, "You know, we know we heard that there's this place out there, and we have a map that could help get us to this place, and we have this problem of this lady not being around, and we don't know where these other people are. So, don't you suppose?" You know, let, let, let's all tie it together here. The the map, the triangle on the map, the black rock. It's um, it's uh, you know, a bit of a. I think it's a bit of an actor's chore. I would expect that they need to sit there and go, oh, I'm going to pretend that this spontaneously comes to my mind that we can put things together and, and for what purpose to give an impetus for upcoming episodes, give some sort of some sort of direction. Um, and luckily, we have condescending Jack to say, well, Charlie, we're not we're not going to go running out in the middle of the night. Uh, of course, Jack was well ready to go uh, running out into the middle of the jungle, yelling his head off after uh, Ethan took Claire and Charlie. Um, but of course, to be fair, I, I think that was in character, him running off kind of, you know, r ready to go. In this episode, what's his purpose? His purpose is to say, oh, hold on, guy, because this episode's almost over. Maybe we should do this next week or in a week or two. Wink, wink. Let let's give our characters something to do. So a little bit of the hand of the writer there. Um, again, I, I think perhaps I'm being a bit, uh, a bit rough, uh, on it. Um, when, I mean, when it's, it's not, uh, it doesn't come across as so difficult when you watch it. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, last but not least for this episode, at least for my thoughts anyway, it's a very, very strong ending to the episode. And it's a, to be honest, it's a surprising cliffhanger when Claire returns. I did know that she returned. Um, obviously, and has this uh, gap in her memory. But uh, to be honest, I was completely shocked when when Boone and um, Locke are are looking through the jungle and they hear the rustling, looking for Vincent, and then Claire suddenly appears. I I had not remembered that this was the episode that she comes back. So uh, a good little shock there, and it certainly does encourage uh, one to say, "Well, I can't wait to the next episode. I want to hear what her story is," even though uh, you know. Upon first viewing, we don't know that her story is going to be. I don't remember. I don't remember. Um, but uh, you know, it's a it's a it's a tidy ending to the episode. Uh, luckily, our podcast is not yet over. Uh, I received another email from Bonnie about this episode, and um, 
well, let me share some of uh, her thoughts with you, and then we will discuss. Uh, Bonnie says, in every episode leading up to this one, Michael has been a hastily sketched and somewhat objectionable character. We finally get a glimpse of his backstory. And she says that she rewatched it twice because upon first view, she liked Michael and wondered why all went wrong for him. And the second time around, she understood that Hurley was right uh, with the uh, dialogue that Hurley says, uh, Michael hates being a dad. Uh, Bonnie goes on to say, Michael liked the idea of fatherhood. As the episode opens, he's soldiering through the motions, motivated by obligation, but surely not love. Susan understood that Michael was not cut out for fatherhood, pointedly asking, is it for him or is it for you? Why are you still holding on? In Michael's defense, Susan was far from honest in her own dealings. Brian had no interest in being Walt's father. But Susan kept pushing the envelope, perhaps wanting to give Walt the trappings of a better life. She clearly had a soft spot in, uh, in her heart for Michael and supported uh, him by paying uh, his medical bills as well as keeping the letters. Um, for his part, Michael returned Susan, Susan's kindness by not allowing Walt to bear her ill will for hiding uh, the letters. Um, some interesting comments there from Bonnie. I, I would disagree that he doesn't, I, I would disagree with the statement that he doesn't uh, love Walt or isn't motivated by love. I think that he's very frustrated. He's very frustrated that when, when last he saw his son, his son was a, a, a barely vocal, barely thinking, uh, or, or barely sentient toddler. And now we had, you know, now Michael's faced with um, a thinking, feeling, uh, young person who can be self-motivated enough to say, you know, nuts to you and go for a walk somewhere else, or I'm going to go see the knife guy and, and this sort of thing. Um, also, too, I think Bonnie and I kind of disagree on, on Susan here. She gives Susan a lot of credit, but also says, uh, where is it here? Um, Susan is far from honest in her own dealings. I, I personally view Susan, I don't think Susan was fooling around with, uh, with her boss who became her boyfriend before there was this promotion, et cetera, et cetera. Again, it's just a vibe I get from the, from the actress, from the way the character is presented. There, there clearly is no, uh, no way of knowing. Um, uh, one last little bit here from Bonnie. She says that uh, one final observation from early in the episode, Locke had just taught Walt the whole in your mind's eye thing. This is involving the, the throwing of the knife. Uh, and Michael starts arguing with Locke. For several long moments, Locke can be seen to have one black eye and one white eye yet again. The scene is shot in shadows, but I rewound it, and I'm fairly convinced it was a visual intention. I certainly agree that he's lit less on one side during part of that discussion. Uh, and I suppose that, uh, well, when in doubt, the, uh, the craft of the writer or the director or the production, uh, uh, you know, I can get the credit. Uh, it's not quite, uh, at least to my eyes, it's not kind of one eye in black and one eye fully lit. But... Um, Certainly interesting thing. It actually, for anybody who wants to check it out themselves, it's in the neighborhood of like five minutes and fifty seconds into the episode. At least, uh, by the way, um, by the way, Netflix has the uh, the episodes timed. I don't know if it's any different on DVD. Obviously, it would be different if you're uh, watching a recording that has commercials on it. But um, uh, with that, let's quickly uh, take a look at uh, any bits and pieces that Lostpedia had for this episode. It was actually very kind of scant on uh, any interesting production notes or trivia. 
Um, it did mention, though, that the uh, Spanish-language comic book, read by Walt, did originally belong to Hurley, which is revealed in Exodus Part 2. That was it for interesting trivia that uh, I found worthy to share with you, dear listeners. With that, let's take a uh, look ahead to next week. Next week's episode will be 115, entitled Homecoming, which is my favorite, favorite, favorite Charlie flashback episode. It's great, and to me, it, it's uh, it's flashbacks working. It, to me, it's almost the best example of a flashback talking to the on-island story and informing it and working together, and it's just... It's really, really a great episode, and I can't wait to uh, can't wait to uh, watch it and share my thoughts with you. Uh, a reminder too that new episodes hit the website on Friday, iTunes on Saturday, and the Lost Podcasting Network over the weekend. And uh, if you'd like to share any feedback, you can say hello to me on Twitter, where I'm looking back lost. You can send an email or uh, record a voice message with your iPhone or iPod Touch and email that uh, along with or. Uh, well, anyhow, you can email me at lookingbackatlost at gmail.com. You can visit the webpage at lookingbackatlost.podbean.com. And last but not least, you can uh, find these, uh, these, uh, this episode as well as uh, previous episodes on iTunes by searching for Looking Back at Lost. You also can leave a uh, starred review or write your own review. And uh, with that, thank you very, very much for listening. As always, it's wonderful to see people... Uh, literally from uh, all the different corners of the earth uh, picking up the episodes. I, I wouldn't say I have a massive audience, but I certainly uh, take pride in knowing that, uh, that those of you who, uh, who do listen are listening and enjoying it. So uh, with that, as I said, thank you for listening. I'll see you uh, next week for episode 115, Homecoming. Take care. Bye-bye. <laughs>